You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Thesis on Joan. I'm Holly. They, them. And I'm Megan, she, her. Today we're sitting down with each other so you can get to know us a bit more and the origins of the podcast. But first we wanted to give you a quick heads up. We planned for this to be our first episode in June, but we were having so much fun recording interviews with the Field Stewart, Margo Gomez, and Andrea Presenario that we wanted to get those to you first. So this episode got moved a little bit later. We've been busy conducting interviews with a lot of exciting guests like C.A. Johnson, whose episode will come out next, and we can't wait to share these conversations with you. And we can't thank you enough for listening and telling your friends about Thesis on Joan. We are so excited to continue to make space to talk about the queer theater community. Enjoy the episode. Welcome, guys. We are so excited to have you. And whether you clicked on us today because you saw a rainbow and you're like, that's clearly within my interests, or if the title brought you here because you're a fun home fan, either way, you're in the right place. We're so excited that you've joined us. Um, to tell you a little bit more about us and what we're doing, uh, our podcast is dedicated to amplifying voices from the LGBTQ plus community and the New York performing arts scene and examining the industry from a queer perspective. So join us, we're fan queers and theater professionals, as we sit down with groundbreaking theater folks from Brooklyn Cabaret performers to people backstage and people on Broadway. For many queers, we know theater has been an escape, and this podcast looks to have an open conversation on where we've come from and where we're headed as a community, while also queering the canon along the way. One of the reasons that Meg and I wanted to do this podcast uh, is that historically, most of the theater that's from the LGBT community uh, that's produced and held as a standard uh, was created by cis gay white men. And this podcast, we're going to be focusing on parts of our community that usually aren't in the spotlight uh, with people that are queer and trans or genderqueer, POC, and so much more. And also extremely selfishly, I think anyone who's making a podcast has to admit this to themselves. We are also making this podcast so we have a chance to meet some of our heroes. Um, so we're very excited to have some of them upcoming on our podcast. As everyone is mourning the things that they're not going to get to do this summer, like go to Jacob Reese with all our favorite queers and just like revel in that moment and hang out at Dyke March. We're very excited to instead be launching this podcast and hoping to spotlight some of the amazing members of our community as they look ahead to projects that they may have had canceled or that they had planned for the upcoming year. When all this stuff with COVID-19 started happening, Megan and I were deep into planning and we were considering, is this even the time to have a podcast on theater with everything coming to a halt? Uh, but one of the main things we want to do with this podcast is create community for queer folks in theater. And this is definitely a time to be doing that, especially in a time of such uncertainty and anxiety and loss for a lot of folks. Uh, we want to bring some joy and hopefully support to everyone as well. Thesis on Joan, what will this podcast be? Good question. Uh, we envision this podcast to be, uh, or we did envision this project to be a lot of reviews and show recommendations and discussions about the queer theater scene that's happening in New York. 
now with everything on pause, we're still going to be talking about artists who are still creating work and some other stuff. Yeah, I remember the last show that Holly and I got to see that we were planning to talk about for the podcast was... Um, the fray at the flea and just thinking back to sitting in a ball pit now seems like quite possibly the highest risk activity a human being could participate in in lower Manhattan. Um, but we're, we're, uh, we promised to bring as many thrills as that potentially COVID soaked ball pit. Uh, brought for us. And we'll eventually we'll talk about shows that we get to see in person. Um, additionally, we're going to the main part of our show and the thing that we're most excited about, especially meeting our heroes, is interviewing queer artists and people behind the scenes to hear more about the amazing work they're doing and their perspective on the industry and um, where they think we've succeeded and where we have a little bit further to go. Um, we'll also be doing some queer culture dives. Holly and I, as we'll get into, actually um, are in a book club together that Holly started. So our queer culture love isn't just on stage. We're big fans of TV, movies, books, and these days it is like a wealth of resources. There is so much queer stuff happening. So we're very excited to talk about our queer favorite culture picks um, outside of Off-Broadway and Broadway as well. Yeah. And instead of interviewing uh, an artist or someone else who works in theater, we thought we'd take today to introduce you to both of us a little more and kind of give you an idea of the kind of conversations we'll be having on this podcast. So this episode, we're going to start by introducing ourselves. Uh, normally for our guests, we're going to ask them to introduce themselves with their names, their pronouns, whatever they want to share of how they identify and who they see themselves as artists or in the theater community. So I'm Holly. My pronouns are they, them, and I identify as a queer, non-binary, transnational, and transracial Korean adoptee. Hi, I'm Megan. My pronouns are she, her. I'm a queer, cis, white, Midwesterner, and theater fan. And we wanted to give you guys a little bit of a backstory of how we became such big theater fans. Because, you know, you just don't show up in New York City as a 20-something accidentally and get into theater. Well, maybe some people do, and we want to have them on our podcast. But for most of us fan queers, we have been uh, obsessing over theater since a very young age. So my love of theater began at a little theater in Northeast Ohio, in Akron, Ohio, very close to where the Goodyear blimp parks for the night. Um, fun fact for anyone who's close enough to know that. Uh, at a theater called the Carousel Dinner Theater. What a dying art form, dinner theaters. Man, I didn't even think about that. Dinner theaters are going to be completely obsolete. They were already going like... They're, they were already dying out, and now I think with, like, food restrictions, they'll never exist again. No one will ever know the thrill of watching Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat with, like, the soft clinking of forks and knives in the background as, as <laughs> the narrator is beginning the top of the show. And they put on an amazing... Uh, array of Broadway musicals. I would say that it was kind of the perfect place to start my musical education. I got your classics, like all your Rodgers and Hammerstein. I got Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Um, I even got to see Cats there, which was thrilling. They were climbing all over the tables where you eat, which was like a whole other thing. <laughs> but um, I'm sure they had to get special permitting for, maybe not. Um, but sadly, when I was in high school, the, the theater closed. And, you know, I was so grateful for um, it kind of introducing me to all these amazing shows and introducing me to what it might mean to have a career in theater that wasn't necessarily on the stage. When I was in elementary school, I wrote a letter to their managing director asking him what a managing director did for a theater, which is like, so strange I, I don't know yeah I, I, it was like actual <laughs> this is pre like children having email addresses so how did you even know what a managing director was so the the way I knew was that um, every time we went to a show at the dinner theater, this guy would come out and give a speech at the top of the show. Uh, you're kind of typical, like, thanks for being subscribers. Thanks for coming to the theater speech. Um, 
And I, I think I remember asking my dad, who is that? And he pointed out in the program that it was the managing director. And I was like, I want that guy's job. Like he gets to go on stage <laughs> and just be like, I run this joint. Thanks for being here. Enjoy your baked Alaska. Like <laughs> check out Beauty and the Beast. So I wrote him a letter, like pen and paper letter. And uh, there was a really, really snowy night in December that we went to see Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. And he took me backstage before the show and showed me the office space, which had to be like, I'm sure that they were joking about it the entire production, that they had a 10-year-old that they showed like Excel to. (laughs) I was thrilled. I I didn't realize kind of all the things that happened backstage going into a show. Um, He brought me on stage with him for that speech and gave me a tie-dye shirt that said Joseph in the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat that um, I still have somewhere because it was like a men's XL. And I was, I mean, I was almost a men's XL as a 10-year-old. That's kind of 10-year-old I was. (laughs) Um, But anyway, uh, the carousel was just the place that kind of sparked that theater love. And um, Holly and I were both lucky enough to live close to Playhouse Square in Cleveland. So I saw an occasional few shows there. I saw the tour of Spamalot. I saw... Uh, the first national tour of Wicked. Um, so it was just really cool to kind of see the full production versions of these shows that I'd fallen in love with just through the cast album. Um, so eventually I headed to college in New Jersey. Um, a lot of that was because I wanted to be close to New York City so I could go in on the weekends and see shows and rush shows. And I started out in journalism and press, and I found my way into a press internship with a Broadway press office. And through that, I really kind of put together how I could take my fangirl expertise and combine it with um, the actual practical knowledge I had had gained. And I fell in love with the insanity of it. Um, I fell in love with the speed. I left for a little while to make sure it was what I wanted to do. Um, Someone had told me, like, if you really want to work in theater, like, go do something else for a little bit and then come back. I did. I came back. Here I am. Um, You know, even if theater is stopping, I'm still going to be in New York waiting for it to come back. You should still put the Carousel Dinner Theater, your debut on your resume, just so you have that credit and they know. Oh my gosh, it's true. It was an equity house. Yeah. Am I an equity member? (laughs) (laughs) We'll we'll find out. Yeah, we did. I should put in my application. I mean... (laughs) Anyway, some someone's fighting for their health care, so that's a good thing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, so after this press internship, um, it was with the great folks at Bone O'Brien Brown. I love them. I still love them. I'm always excited when I get to work with them. And it was the year that Book of Mormon won the Tony, and they were representing that show. So there was plenty of kind of real experience I could get and get a better sense of what it would mean to work in uh, press and marketing and theater. Um, I came back to New York eventually and uh, got my master's in theater management and producing at the Columbia MFA program. And I wrote my thesis on fan culture and social media because write what you know, you know, (laughs) and uh, that was the year I've had a lot of lucky instances of just having a good theater season to match up with like what my needs were at the time. And that was the year that uh, Hamilton debuted on Broadway. So I wrote like a whole bunch of probably really overly thought out things about Ham for Ham and interviewed all these folks at BroadwayCon through a survey. Thanks, Jen Tepper, for tweeting that out for me. Um, And I've always just had such a love of fan culture. And I'm really excited to uh, be with Holly doing this podcast to kind of show showcase that love. I don't know if people want to see more super fans or hear more super fans. Um, Wasn't the first premise for your thesis uh, fan fiction? Yes. Oh, boy. (laughs) If you guys want a wild ride, check out some Cats fan fiction. That's literally the only fan fiction I've ever really read. Really? Back in, I must have been in middle school, high school, like early days of the internet. And I thought it was from legitimate sources or however you whatever that means. Wait, but, what was the legitimate source that you thought it was from? <laughs> I have no idea. I'm sure I found like a message board or some some website that had just a bunch of open source cats fan fiction. And I remember like printing it out on legal size paper and 
running out of ink and then copy pasting it into Word and changing all the font to like blue so I could keep printing it. I'm dead. <laughs> Open source cat fanfic is like a drag name that needs to exist. <laughs> There's so much of it, though. Cats and Les Mis, there's just, like, an insane amount of fanfic. Um, but what I also loved is, like, fans will be fans, so there's, like, no stone left unturned. Like, there was plenty of, like, bloody, bloody Andrew Jackson fanfic. <laughs> that, it got niche. I should We should go back to that, actually, when we, yeah. when we talk to artists and see what kind of fanfic they have floating around online. Oh, um, yeah, I wonder if they read it. That'd be awesome. If you had to write <laughs> fanfic for a show, Holly, what, what show would it be? Oh, my God. Um, besides Fun Home? Hmm. What would Fun Home fanfic be? <laughs> Just happier endings? <laughs> or, like, Allison. Probably, like, medium Allison exploring her queerness in college. Oh, yeah. I would yeah. read that, like, 100%. Like, Stuff with her and Joan, maybe stuff drama after Joan. Yeah, we just need Joan fanfic. And, yeah. And we're back to the title. <laughs> we love ourselves some Joan. Yeah. Um, yeah, so fan culture uh, was my thesis topic. I basically argued for all you fans out there, I argued that, yeah, we might be buying rush tickets. We might be buying standing room only, but we're buying a lot of those tickets. I don't know about you, but I saw Spring Awakening, I think, 10 times, right? So over time, that adds up. Um, so <laughs> my argument was that uh, we should really give give fans a platform. We should help them boost our social media presence. Uh, we should let them be our advocates to help convince other ticket buyers to come to the show. So always, always repping for you guys out there. Um, and from there, I had internships at New York Theater Workshop. Love those guys over there. They're amazing. Uh, Daryl Roth, theatrical management. I worked for a while at TDF uh, at the Autism Theater Initiative, and we'll talk a little bit more about that later in the podcast. Uh, and my current job uh, as a marketing manager at, on the Rialto is really, I would have to say, kind of my dream job because I get to be so close to the all these shows that I love and um, help them come up with interesting marketing projects. I do a lot of work with our education programs. Um, and I just really get to tell the stories that I love every day by sharing more with fans about more with fans and ticket buyers about shows like Come From Away, Girl from the North Country, and in the past I've got to work on shows like The Prom and um, SpongeBob SquarePants. Wow, I almost forgot SpongeBob. <laughs> <laughs> Never forget. Never forget SpongeBob. Ugh. So yeah, especially working on The Prom and SpongeBob was like a really great beautiful thing to see like the love of fans and how it amplified a show yeah my love of theater started back when I was four uh my mom noticed that I kept performing for myself in my bedroom as an only child and asked my preschool teacher if she should have me audition for the community theater production of the king and I because I'm Korean and she was like, yes, absolutely. And uh, I sang Bringing Home a Baby Bumblebee for my audition song. And I came off stage and was like, can I do that again? So it all started there. And uh, I grew up also in Ohio, um, like an hour and a half away from Megan and grew up doing tons of community theater, dance classes. Um, there, uh, I'm from Mansfield, Ohio, and there's actually a really robust arts community there, which was really amazing to be a part of uh, and really formative for me. I did theater all through high school and decided to go to college for acting because unlike Megan, I did not get a tour with the managing director of a theater, which I wish I would have. Uh, yeah, your life would have went a very different direction. Oh, it would have saved me so much time and anxiety, but I decided to go to college for acting realized in college that I hated acting and it was not for me. And there's not a lot of space for someone like me in acting roles either. Uh, so I still graduated and moved to the city. Uh, I also went to school on Long Island uh, to be close to the city to see theater like Megan. 
Um, I was waitressing for a year and started interning with Epic Theater Ensemble. Uh, from there, I got my first job with Roundabout Theater Company in their education department and then moved uh, to the Theater on Film and Tape Archive, where you can go up and watch productions for free if you have a research reason and a library card. I saw so much theater that way and got to be a part of producing the tapings of all those shows, which was really incredible. Um, some of my favorites, we retaped the revival of The Color Purple uh, the day after Trump was elected, and it just felt like such an emotional day, very cathartic. Um, I remember after one of the actors, after the curtain call made a speech to the audience um, about, you know, keep fighting and keep loving each other and we're going to get through this. And that was all, that's all on the tape for the archive. It's really incredible. Um we taped a very pregnant Audra McDonald for Shuffle Along. Uh, <laughs> yeah, she said she did like extra high kicks for that show <laughs> just to make sure it was on the tape. Incredible. Um, yeah, we we taped Allegiance, which was special for me. Um, I met Leia Salonga in the backstage area before we taped it. and I didn't I, know that. What yeah. Did you, how did you react to that? I... Well, it was mostly our director talking to her, but I was like silently giving her like the Asian nod the whole time. And we were just like silently nodding at each other and like, cool, I see you. I see you. Cool. Awesome. You're here. Um, and that was awesome. Um, and I brought one of my friends to that taping too. And it was just, um, it's so great to be part of that process and knowing that so many people, once we are able to go to the library again, uh, will be able to see that going forward and it's an accessible way to see theater. Yeah, get out there and do it. I, I've seen, I mean, it has to be for research purposes. My research was just fandom. I think I saw Scottsboro Boys like three times taped there. So nice. <laughs> had to keep watching it. That one you had to get permission too, so good on you. Oh, well, I was in grad school, so I think I could fake my way through it a little bit better. Nice. Yeah. Uh, so while I was working at the library, I was also working with a theater company called Honest Accomplice Theater, and they create uh, devised theater for women and trans people. So I was one of the devisers. I also became their general manager after working with them for a couple years. Uh, so helped them with their producing and their marketing, uh, doing a lot of their admin work while also being an actor. And uh, that was definitely more my speed of getting to control more of the storytelling and being telling stories more from a personal perspective uh, than trying to fit into roles that were definitely not written for me. Um, was that kind of like the light bulb? Like, oh, this is the way I want to be in theater now. I guess I still parts of it I, of performing. I still really don't love. I think the the creation process was really fun for me. But once we got to the just straight performing, I would it was not as enjoyable, I think. Um, but yeah, generating ideas and like trying things out and just being silly and fun with friends in rehearsal was really amazing. They have uh, the Transliteracy Project, uh, which has short videos informing people about you know gender identity and terms and ways that you can be a better ally to the trans community. So currently I'm the operations director of Theater of the Oppressed NYC, which has been an amazing blend of my interests of activism and theater and art. Uh, I've been with them for almost four years now, which is pretty incredible. Wow. That's crazy. Uh, yeah. And I have learned so much there and love that community. It's been incredible. Um, I'm also starting with the ART New York Ombud program. So they have a whole program called the Body Autonomy, which has... Um, programs for professional development around sexual harassment prevention and micro grants for intimacy directors uh, for productions to use. And the ombud program is we act as mediators that go into theater productions and are a person to talk to. So if you're an actor or a stage manager and you're experiencing something that makes you uncomfortable uh, or harmful, you can come to someone who's a little more neutral and maybe the 
you know, the power dynamics and the stakes aren't as high to talk to someone like that than someone on the producing team or your director. And we can help mediate that situation. That's so awesome that that exists. Yeah. That's really cool. Uh, I was scheduled to start with uh, production with Keen Teens this spring, and then everything got canceled. So I hope that we're back up and running soon, and then I can continue starting that work. I'm really excited about it. You're waiting for your debut, like so many others. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, And we'll put uh, resources for ART New York and the Body Autonomy Program in our show notes. If anyone's interested in learning more about that, they do specific sexual harassment prevention training for theater companies. Okay, now we get to talk about our our fun history together. (laughs) So, you know that Megan and I grew up in Ohio, separated but close. So you're probably wondering how we met. Uh, And I'm here to tell you. It was destined to be, though. Like, the fact that we grew up that close, we were probably supposed to meet earlier. But, you know, (laughs) this is how it ended up. Oh, we would have had such a nerdy, awesome friendship in high school. So back in 2015, if we can remember that long ago, uh, I was on the the apps. Uh, this app was called OkCupid. And, uh, you know, meeting a bunch of people. And I had a date set up with somebody named Megan from Ohio who loved theater. And it seemed like we had a lot in common. Oh, yeah. I remember reading your OkCupid profile and being like, wow, we're going to talk about like nothing but divas for like two hours. And I'm I'm here for that. That's, you know, that's definitely what I was looking for. Also, I feel like you can tell we're like getting to be older queers because we were on OkCupid. Like, <laughs> it's not what the kids are doing now. No, um, I just found out about Lex like a few months ago. I know. I almost like downloaded it just to like see what the kids are up to these days. Like when I read young adult novels to see what my sisters are into. But well, we'll, I have to get a lot more bored in quarantine to do that. Um, (laughs) I have it, but I definitely don't look at it. Yeah. One one day there'll be a review of Lex on this podcast, maybe by one of our guests. We'll see. (laughs) We had the date set up. Uh, It was while I was working for the Autism Theater Initiative, and we had the autism-friendly performance of Matilda scheduled. It was Matilda, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know why I always want to say it was Lion King. It was not. It's because we did Lion King every year. Um, So we're breaking off into groups, right? And I was like, great, I'm going to be the balcony leader. This is going to be an awesome day. It was an awesome day because everything the Autism Theater Initiative does is awesome. And the way that they get families to come together to the theater, often for the first time, check them out. Um, They do amazing work. So we're breaking up into groups, and this person named Holly is in my group, and I'm looking over, I'm like, oh, no, wait, I went to my supervisor, I'm like, I definitely have a date with that person next week, I'm freaking out, <laughs> and my supervisor was like, it's to- it's fine, it's fine, this is a great conversation starter, awesome. So the whole show, all of Matilda, all of this beautiful production of Matilda, I'm standing on the side being like, Holly's totally just going to be like, why didn't you acknowledge that we had a date <laughs> together? Like, this is so awkward. I don't want to go on a date with you. And so later that night, I go home and I message Holly. And I was like, hey, um, I think we volunteered together today. Holly had no idea. <laughs> no clue at all. <laughs> Just like three hours of pure anxiety of me being like, I'm not treating this situation well. This is terrible. Um but thankfully, you still wanted to hang out with me after that. So, oh, yeah, clearly. I mean, we had so many things in common. And <laughs> I think it's hilarious that you didn't say anything and I was oblivious. <laughs> I mean, at that point, I was still kind of like, I hadn't dated a ton in the city yet. So I was still like kind of anxious about like every like baby queer in New York. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to mess this up. What am I supposed to do? So I was like, silence is better. I don't know if that's right. So Yeah. And I had just gotten out of a long-term relationship and was like just dipping my toe into dating. And Megan was the first date I went on really after that. And it worked out so well. And we're still here today. Here we I are. Mean- we have different partners, but you know, we're, our friendship has lasted longer than any of that. So we're yeah, exactly. We also both had a lot longer hair then. Oh yeah. Did I have my undercut at that point? You I had like so. just the, 
the, the side. side. Yeah. yeah. Now we both have short hair. Yeah, we're full leaning into like the queer hair stereotype right now. Mm-hmm. So even in quarantine. Um, but yeah, and I just recently, you know, we're cleaning all cleaning out our houses, doing things like that. I was cleaning out emails and I found a confirmation email from TDF for the second time we hung out and saw uh, King Liz at it was a women's project, right? yeah. project theater. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so good times. We've been seeing good theater ever since. Definitely. And then I think where our friendship really grew was when the book club started. Um, I think the end of 2015, we had our first meeting and we read The Price of Salt and we met in the basement of a bread and butter down by Herald Square. <laughs> and it was a, it was a good turnout. Like many of the book club members who were at that first deli basement meeting are still meeting regularly every month for book club. It's true. Yeah, that all started. Um, there was some article on BuzzFeed, I think, about how there's not enough space for queer women. Um, and I posted it on my Facebook and was like, who wants to start a book club as a joke? And then about six people commented and were like, me. <laughs> uh, so I feel like, like this podcast, we are filling a gap. And it is, you know, it it's successful it's still going five years later i love setting up anything as a joke because you're like just you know just putting this out there as a joke right guys right it's a joke but no it was it was awesome from day one um and i i think the the other part that i love about uh the story of the origin is it was all centered around like the unrealistic expectations that queer media had set up for us at that point. Um, So I think what's exciting is we get to talk a little bit more together on this podcast about how those things have changed. Um, We don't just have to watch the L word anymore. There are a lot of other great ways for us to engage and see our community on stage and on TV and in movies. Um, And we also all have tattoos. We have matching book club tattoos. Yeah. Our friend Katie Diamond, who's an artist and also a tattooer, created a whole flash sheet just for our book club. So if you want to join the book club and get initiated, you don't have to get a tattoo at all, but it's there if you want it. I mean, they're pretty awesome. I, if, if It's my first and only tattoo. I definitely planned on a second one at this point, but um, we'll see. One, one day, maybe I'll just get another book club tattoo. Yeah. Oh, and can you get the, the drawings of us that are going to be in some of the podcast stuff? Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply with lucky landslots you can get lucky just about anywhere dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom sorry sorry we're here we were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time no lucky land casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry in that case i pronounce you lucky Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I think one of the best ways to kind of get a sense of um, a theater fan and what they like is to be like, what are your favorite shows? And I know for me, this changes all the time. Like it depends on my mood. It depends on the day of the week. It depends on what's happening in the world. Um, so we'll just look at this as like a little time capsule of this moment. Um, Holly, what are your current three favorite shows? I have to say Fun Home is in there. Um, I think that'll be true for a lot of people we talk to. Um, who knows? Um, yeah, I, I hadn't seen anything like that on stage before and it just blew my mind mentally and emotionally. Um, Something I always come back to as a love is Into the Woods. Um, huge Sondheim fan, so really anything from his catalog I could put in here, but I'd say for today, Into the Woods. Uh, Your particular production of Into the Woods, it's like your definitive. Oh, version. the OVC. Yeah, definitely. Did you uh, watch 
Did you watch the video? Did you have the video? Oh yeah. 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 I have a VHS of it. I also, I think the first time I ever saw it though, was a high school production that uh, one of my friends slash she was older than me. So I definitely had like a little mini crush on her um, was the baker's wife. And I just remember being so devastated when spoiler alert, she died. Uh, I was so I was probably in elementary school and I was just so sad. If and I couldn't believe this podcast. You're not surprised by that Baker's wife reveal. I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> I also, just didn't want anyone to get mad at us. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Also, like that is the character to have a crush on in that show. Like the Baker's wife is always like the character that I'm into when I see a production of Into the Woods. But yeah, oh yeah, for sure. Um, and then okay, a more. A more modern um, show that I love right now would have to be The Prom. Uh, I saw it a lot, and it always just gave me so much joy. And I love that it was just kind of a roast of the theater community, as well as a love letter. And then all the Midwestern jokes also just got me right where I needed it. (laughs) Yeah, so many people love I'm like half convinced that like they spied on our conversations and like, let's change it to Indiana just to be safe. Like, so they don't <laughs> realize that it's just about them. Um, yeah. Although Emma's way cooler than I ever was in high school. Emma's so much cooler. I'm like, and so confident. Mm-hmm. Like think, think back to me at the uh, production of Matilda where I couldn't even admit that to the person <laughs> I had a date with that we were going on a date Meanwhile, this girl's just asking her girlfriend to prom as like a 17, 18 year old. Like, right. Yeah. Imagine Emma at 30. Wow. She's going to be such a badass. Oh, she's got her shit together. You know, she does. It's going to be running the world, probably a major studio recording artist. Oh, definitely. It's going to be great. Yeah. And just like casually writes that beautiful song is like, <laughs> I know. Again, we love you, Emma, but unrealistic expectations for queer high schoolers. <laughs> Maybe it's like what I would have thought I was in my head, though, at that time. So mm. I feel like it could work. Yeah. Um, and one of the amazing things that we kind of got to collaborate on with the prom was um, the prom had a really amazing commitment initiative to getting queer youth in to see the show. Um, so Holly, you helped out a ton getting lots of young people in to see the prom. So Theater of the Oppressed NYC partners with the Ali Forney Center, uh, which uh, supports LGBTQ homeless youth. So we have a theater troupe with them and we invited our actors to the show. I think we got two invites out. Um, so we're able to bring groups both nights. One of them was a night with uh, Ryan Murphy hosting and all his very fancy famous friends. And it was so exciting to sit in the in the balcony or the mez with, with all the kids. And like most of the people who were in that area were the LGBTQ youth. And I was sitting towards like the back of the house and could just kind of watch them the whole time. And it was amazing. And when Ryan Murphy came out and kind of talked about who all was there, it was like, it was just such a a wild, energetic performance. And everyone was um, so happy to be there. It was really cool. Thanks for all the work you did to help make that happen. That was awesome. Thank you for the for the tickets. Oh, man. Love the prom. Love its mission. So, Megan, what are your top three shows then? So, my top three shows, I mean, broken record, but Fun Home all the way. Um, we'll be talking about Fun Home probably every episode, um, but it's it's still a fave. Um, my favorite, we were talking about our favorite song times, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and my favorite has always been Company, even before it was, like, gender-swapped. Um, I, I don't know why. Like, I probably shouldn't identify too much with, like, a single, like, white cis man looking for love in the city. But I, I just love the songs in that show. And I think what it really does capture well is like what it's like to be in a really close knit community in the city and like how your friends are kind of your family. Um, I like the kind of forlornness of it all. Uh, <laughs> even after like, even when I wasn't single, I, I always love that show. It, it's just a great one. Um, and I really wanted to see the uh, version with Katrina in it. So, 
So I sad. Had, I had tickets with my best friend from Ohio was coming up for his like bachelor weekend. And we had tickets to that show on May 7th and RIP. Yeah. We'll, we'll wait for you, Katrina. Please, please yeah, come back. for sure. Bring that back. <laughs> um, and then we all have our show that we were obsessed with in high school. And I already kind of teased this out earlier. I saw it 10 times, but Spring Awakening was definitely the show that got me like super obsessed with finding out what else was happening on Broadway um, because I was very invested in their Tony race. And <laughs> uh, like, what did I know at that point? Um, and... I just, it made me feel like I was part of a community. I think I was on like the message boards. I'm not really sure how I was connecting with other fans, but it was the first time I really felt like I could kind of go outside of my little bubble listening to the cast album and connect with other people who had fallen in love with the same show that I had. Um, So Spring Awakening will always be a favorite because of that. Yeah. How did you talk to other fans in high school? So Live Journal. Oh, same. Yeah. I'm, we were probably in some of those same live journal circles. Definitely. I can't believe we weren't friends then. Yeah. It's, it was definitely like all up in the theater live journal community. Um, and then like I would kind of peruse the like, uh, Broadway world message boards a little bit too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Same. But all, all the good stuff was happening on live journal. Yeah. If you were a high school kid. That's how I learned Photoshop. That's how I got, I like, Friends would send me cast albums and now I pay for them. Uh, yeah, I just like my whole, most of my whole theater education came through Live Journal and the people I met there. Totally. I remember getting like ticket hookups from people on Live Journal. They'd be like, oh, I got like three tickets to see this show at this date. Like, if anyone wants it, comment. Mm-hmm. Like, back the only time I ever felt comfortable meeting strangers on the internet was the Live Journal <laughs> theater community. <laughs> So another part of our podcast that will be coming back every episode is what we're calling Queering the Canon, where we talk about different ways to queer theater or ways that theater is already queer, to us at least. Uh, so today we wanted to talk about queer theater roots. So what is a queer root? Uh, this idea came to me through the movie, But I'm a Cheerleader where uh, the kids are at like a a rehabilitation camp. Uh, What do they call it? (laughs) I think, yeah, it's like a queer conversion camp. Yeah, exactly. Uh, And they're trying to find like the root of their trauma and what made them queer. Uh, But I like to think of it more as like an empowering thing uh, for the moment when you realized uh, there was somebody you either identified with or that you were attracted to or however, there was some light bulb moment that made you kind of realize something about yourself. Maybe Um, that could be at that moment that it's happening. And I think for a lot of folks, it could be 10 years later and you realize, Oh, that's why I loved math so much with that teacher. (laughs) Um, And I think another aspect of this that, my friend uh, Tina Horn has described uh, as a moment when you're confused of, oh, do I want to be that person or do I want to do that person? And she calls it a doobie doobie doo. <laughs> I love that so much. Sometimes it can be both. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it can overlap for sure. So, Megan, did you have what? what is did you have a specific queer theater route? that you want to talk about? Yeah, I don't think I knew either one of these at the time because I was pretty young and couldn't really put it all together. But I, I think uh, one of my favorite shows ever since I was, I think, seven or eight years old and I watched it on VHS at my grandma's house was Annie Get Your Gun. And now that I'm looking back over time, there are, I mean, there's plenty of things that we could talk about with Annie Get Your Gun, why it shouldn't, why it's a problematic favorite definitely (laughs) um but watching especially the the version for me that that did it was betty hutton in the movie version of annie get your gun i was immediately taken with the with the song no business like show business because at that point i think i um had already kind of started to work my gears at theater was where i wanted to be 
Um, but then I just got to watch this like bossy lady who was like, had a wide sit and like saunter around stage with a gun, like tell men that she was better <laughs> than them. And just basically continue to her confidence was so high. And she continued to like, just meet that. Like there, there was very few points in Annie, get your gun where like she was knocked down where she wouldn't get right back up and be like, I'm still the best and I can handle this situation. You guys deal with it. Like, yeah, it still has to end with a wedding, but like all along the way, she's just like, you know, killing it. Um, so she's, she was like kind of, I think theater role model number one for like bossy diva lady. But then this is just like a coincidence of right production at the right time. Um, or maybe in like my mom's opinion, wrong production at the wrong time. Cause she didn't do a lot of research on what Chicago, the musical is about before taking um, <laughs> seventh grader to see it. So we saw a community theater production of uh, Chicago at the Maine State Playhouse visiting my aunt and uncle in Maine. And the minute that Matron Mama Morton came out, I was like, I have so many questions. She's in this like huge boxy pinstripe suit. She has a cigar in her hand. She has a super short like dyke haircut, like slick to the side. And I'm just like, what's happening? I'm so interested in this character. Every time he was on stage was like my favorite moment of the show. Um, and it just brought like a whole new understanding to the song when you're good to mama. So I had like, I, I mean, I put it together at that point I was like 12 or 13 and I was like, Oh, I see what's happening at this prison. Um, I, I would like to know more about this part of Chicago, please. Like let's get some more inside scoop. Um, so I remember leaving the show and like my mom being like, that was really risque. And also being like, I don't know what's going on with that character. And I'm like immediately going to buy the cast album and like listening <laughs> to that song on repeat. Um, so I don't know where that actress is. Like I would. I would love to find out. Um, and kind you know of like, who it was? No, I, I bet I could. I haven't looked very hard. I, mm -hmm. I could probably find it online, but that's amazing. like definitely life changing for sure. I was trying to think if I had any other roots that were kind of more of a B, and I really couldn't think of any. I feel like my so I'm a I'm an adoptee. I was raised by white parents, a transracial trans. Uh, transracial transnational adoptee and grew up in a very homogeneously white community in Ohio. And I think I've spent like my whole life kind of like detangling what I saw as like what I should be versus who I am. And I can't, yeah, I really can't think of a, a time in theater where I was like, Oh, I want to be that person. And it was in a queer way. I don't know how to describe that. Well, um, yeah, I can't think of a way or a person or a character who I really identified in that way until I was like way more self-aware in like college, I think. Um, mm -hmm. and I think as more of a mask presenting person too, I think I was afraid of that for a long time. And so if I did see somebody who presented in a more masculine way, I was kind of averse to it I was like oh no that's not me or like oh no I can't be you know associated with that in any way which happened around also my race and you know queerness for a long time until I figured out I was okay with that and was actually who I was um but in terms of discovering my sexuality I think that all started for me back in again high school and I was homesick and I was like looking, flipping through TV, looking for something to watch. And the Broadway television network production of Jekyll and Hyde was playing, starring David Hasselhoff. And uh, I still loved musicals at that point. So I was like, I'll give this a try. And uh, I was watching it for a while. I never knew this happened until you told me about it. Like really? Broadway television network, David Hasselhoff. <laughs> All, the fact that all of this is in a sentence together is like still kind of blowing my mind. Have you seen it? No, I have oh, not. Oh, we should definitely do a viewing party at some point. For sure. It's a classic. Um, so I watched it for a while. It was kind of like towards the middle of the show. And Emma had just come on and like sung her song. And I'm like, oh, that was pretty. Yay. And then uh, the character Lucy comes out. And I was like, who is that? And I was very interested in her. Um, 
turns out that actress is Colleen Sexton on the recording. And I immediately went online and Googled and found everything I could find out about her. Um, became a very super fan. Uh, I, her website at the time had a message board section of it. And uh, I think I wrote on her message board of like, please email me, please contact me. Like, I love you. Incredible. <laughs> and then she did. She did. She did. She emailed me uh, with her real email address. I love these thirsty divas. <laughs> Looking for their fans. That's so good. Yeah. Uh, and then through, I think through that message board and probably through Live Journal, I found a couple other friends who were super fans. And uh, we would like travel together to go see her in productions um, in the like eastern area of the United okay, States. What's the furthest you traveled to see Colleen Sexton? Oh my show? god, we went to West Virginia to the it's called the Cats F Theater Festival, the Contemporary American Theater Festival, I think is what it is. Um, and then we went to Louisville to see her in Chicago. Oh, it all ties together. Who did she play? Uh, she Oh, so she was an ensemble member, but she covered Mama Morton. Oh, <laughs> I wish you would have seen her Mama Morton. Oh, me too. But she she's like the opposite of what you described as your Mama Morton. She's like a dancer. She's <laughs> very right. like ingenue. Um, uh, so, yeah, became a super fan of hers. You know, met a bunch of friends through that. And then that all kind of led to my like greater knowledge and meeting of other theater fans and uh, just kept learning new things as I met new people. Um, oh, you need to talk about how you got so next level that you like infiltrated her family. Okay, so I do not remember how this happened. Uh, I might have blocked it out, but somehow my friends and I started talking to her mom. Um, I do not recommend this. This is, I think, crossing a lot of boundaries, but her mother was so nice to us. And, um, she set us up with like a lunch date with Colleen when we went to West Virginia to see her. And both of them were so, her mom wasn't there, but she was so kind and it was incredibly awkward, but like kudos for her for doing it. And yeah, you should respect people's boundaries more than that. But at the time... <laughs> The uh, I think the internet was so young and and people didn't know how to interact with fans in a way that was safe and uh, you know protective. Um, also, bring back the website message board. Yeah, <laughs> need that. Just talk to people directly. Yeah, I can't believe she responded. Still good for her. So if you have a queer theater route you want to share with us, we have a couple ways you can do that. Um, we have a voicemail set up so you can call and leave a short message with your story. Uh, the number is 845-445-9251, 845-445-9251, or you can email us. Our email is thesisonjoan at gmail.com. So as we were saying earlier, there is a lot of queer culture happening right now. Um, I think all of you should just be really grateful that we didn't start this podcast when the L Word relaunch happened, because it would mostly be filled with some very strong opinions on different things <laughs> happening on that show. Um, but we're trying to keep it a little bit more current. Um, so we wanted to talk a little bit today about some ways that you can indulge in queer culture from the safety of your home. So Holly, what has been keeping you entertained while you're stuck at your apartment? Yeah, uh, one of my first favorite queer movies uh, was called Saving Face. And the creator of that movie just came out with a new movie called The Half of It on Netflix. And uh, it's kind of a Cyrano storyline and very queer and so heartfelt and adorable. And I love it so much. Everyone should watch it. Um, and then instead of the new L word, the show I was really into at the time was Work in Progress on Showtime. And uh, the main character, Abby, I think she describes herself as a, a fat queer dyke. And I was like, yes, <laughs> I feel that. <laughs> and I think just the scenes of her and her friends having game nights, like reminds me so much of how our friend group uh, totally <laughs> hangs out. And uh, I felt so much more represented and uh, 
interested in what that community was doing. I second work in progress. Also, the episodes are only what, like 10, 15 minutes long. Something like yeah, that. I think 15 to 20. They're short. Yeah. So it's you can like binge the whole season in, in one day. Yeah. And having really interesting representation and discussions around mental health and queerness uh, and how like to take care of our community, which is really interesting. And talking about fatness in a way that I rarely see on television either. Yeah, it's an awesome show. And it got renewed for season two, right? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, bring it back. Yeah. Um, and I just rewatched the last movie I saw in an actual movie theater was Portrait of a Lady on Fire with like every other queer you know in this city. We were all, I think, at the same screening at like 8 p.m. on a Saturday. Um, ran into two people we knew, didn't run into <laughs> any exes, thought we might, you know, always prepared for that. Um, but it's just this beautiful story of these women falling in love in the, uh, I think it's the 17th century. But it's it's just like a really interesting take on the female gaze in movies and also like what it means to have consent between partners that are not um, male-female. It, it's just a very cool story cool i don't think it's cool i don't know if that's the right way to say it um it's a really beautiful story and it's also like appropriately pining and sad uh for this time so i think as i was watching it like i was envisioning like my normal life and the theater world and everything else is that lover that i could not like get back to um but it's now on hulu so highly recommend that you guys check it out uh, it has a great quarantine wardrobe, too. Like, they're wearing masks in a few scenes. Oh, I totally forgot about that, too. <laughs> yeah. And um, the director uh, has done a lot of other uh, queer queer adjacent work, which I should dive into. That should be my next um, quarantine activity. Uh, one last section we want to have for every episode is highlighting a different organization or charity that our listeners can support and volunteer or follow. Um, today, I mentioned earlier uh, the Ali Forney Center, and we want to highlight them. Uh, their mission is to help homeless, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and questioning youth from the harms of homelessness and empower them with the tools needed to live independently. Uh, right now, uh, they have a, a quote on their website is that we cannot close. We are their home. So they are still functioning amongst COVID and they need your support to keep going. Uh, almost half of homeless teens in the U.S. identify as LGBTQ. So there's definitely a need for this organization. Um, they offer uh, drop-in center, outreach, emergency housing, transitional living, and other programs and resources for trans clients, as well as job readiness and education health services. Uh, you can find out more at Ali Forney, uh, A-L-I-F-O-R-N-E-Y-C-E-N-T-E-R.org the org. You can donate and volunteer and find out more about what they do. Definitely an incredible cause. And if you guys would like to follow us and find out more about what we're doing, you can check us out on Instagram and Twitter. Our handle is thesis on Joan, or you can drop us an email. If there's anything you'd like to add to either our um, query, the canon, if you have any queer culture recs for us, we would love to hear those. Uh, email us at thesisonjoan at gmail.com. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you like this podcast, please stay tuned. We have a lot more coming your way with some great interviews with queer folks from our community. Rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts and please share with your friends. We definitely want to keep this discussion going and involve you too. Yeah, I'll get your face tattooed on me, Ollie. <laughs> and I'll get yours on me. It'll be great. <laughs> as a joke, as a joke. <laughs> Stay tuned for the outcome of that. Um, so. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work 
or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.